You can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by purchasing a cell phone case from Crossway, crossweh.com slash LPR. You'll find cell phone cases for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and Luther's Seal with the Reformation Solas, crossweh.com slash LPR. A percentage of your purchase will support Issues Etc., Cross weh.com slash LPR. If you don't understand the changes that happen in the world, then you're not going to be able to make sense of what you see around you. And again, you might actually disadvantage yourself by taking actions that 20, 30 years ago would have been no big deal, but today might destroy your life. If the body doesn't correspond to one's self-understanding, then it's the body that's changed to match what one wills or what imagines one's mind, rather than the mind changing to match the body. That's a gender paradigm, and that's opposed to the genesis or the biblical paradigm, which honors nature, because it also recognizes biological reality. People should not talk about Bible prophecy being fulfilled today. These ancient people groups are not around anymore. They're long gone. It just so happens that other people live in the same territory. Just like every Christian needs a church, Every Christian needs a pastor. That's how the Lord has arranged it. And this, it's between me and the Lord, is a way of kind of cutting off both of those directions, the, the, the vertical and the horizontal fellowship that the Lord wants to put us in. Topics you can really sink your teeth into. That's why Iowa dentists love issues, etc. It's good that Bible stories are familiar to us, that we know them almost by heart. But sometimes familiarity means that we might miss some detail or miss some significance when we're walking through it for the 100th time. That's true of all the Bible stories, but especially of the birth of Jesus. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in live on this Tuesday afternoon, the 20th of February. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson with Pastor Tom Baker on the birth and presentation of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. But before we get there, we'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Our email address, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the comment line, 618-223-8382. Mark writes, I just finished listening to the episode on the presence of the body and blood in the sacrament of the altar with Dr. Jordan Cooper. Very good. My question are non-Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Christians heaping condemnation on themselves by not believing in the real presence when taking communion in their churches? Are they sinning against the body of Christ, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven? Examples I'm talking about be like Baptist, non-denominational churches, etc. Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening, Mark. So this is a question that has bedeviled Lutheran theologians since the time of the Reformation, and that is, Paul clearly teaches that there is a way to receive the Lord's Supper. He calls it unworthily. That is not discerning the body and blood of Christ. And to receive it this way is to receive it to your judgment. That's absolutely clear. The particular question of, let's say, when a Baptist who denies the presence of Christ's body and blood in the sacrament, in spite of the fact that Christ's words themselves say that he is bodily present there, They may even say the words of institution without modifying them. When they do that, do they receive it unworthily in that kind of Paul eating to their own judgment sense? Now, some Lutheran theologians have said, no, 
but they don't receive any benefit because they don't have the Lord's Supper at all. That's the state of the Corinthians. Some of them, he says, when you gather to eat the supper, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, but your own. And that's a word of condemnation to them. Paul ties that together with an unworthy reception. So I guess the more ontological basic question is, do they have the Lord's Supper at all? And if they do, then they most certainly eat and drink to their judgment because they do the very thing that Paul forbids them to do in 1 Corinthians 11. If they do not have the Lord's Supper, then they receive no benefit. And if they are just doing a kind of a mockery of the Lord's Supper, well, I'll just give you an example. My grandchildren this morning were playing church. They like to do this occasionally. So my oldest grandchild set up a cross over the couch and he set up a little kneelers and then put his little keyboard on the side of the couch and he played some hymns. And then they all went up for communion to the couch for communion and they just had cups of lemonade and he gave out stuffed animals instead of the host. Go figure, eight, eight, six, and four years old. That's or five years old, that's what they do. Had he dressed up like a little pastor and had he actually had bread and maybe even wine or something like that, let's just play with that. And even if he had the words of institution memorized, would that then be the Lord's Supper? And the answer to that question is, no, it would not. Because number one, he has not been authorized. He's eight years old. He's not been authorized by anyone to distribute the sacrament. Two, the context of this says it's purely make-believe And the Lord's Supper is anything but make-believe. And are they in in any way incurring wrath or judgment on themselves by doing this? No, they're simply pretending to be in church. That's different than the Southern Baptists who have called ministers, who are called to administer the sacrament, but that they deny what it is in their teaching. So are they sinning against the body and blood of Jesus? I would say my pastoral response would be, Yes, but indirectly, because I don't think they have the sacrament. They deny the very essence of Christ's word, so they don't have the sacrament. They are pretending to do something or reenacting something. But that does not mean that they're guiltless against the body of Christ. Is the body of Christ present there for them to eat and drink to their judgment? Again, Lutheran theologians have gone back and forth on this. I would say, no, it is not there. But they nonetheless sin against Christ. Not the particular sin of sinning against the present body of Christ, but the particular sin of denying Christ's word and his sacrament. They make a completely unintentionally, completely unwittingly, a mockery of Christ without even knowing that. They think they honor Christ, but they make a mockery of him by denying his words. That's different from someone who receives the body of Christ, but does not recognize Christ's body there. Now, the reason I kind of want to edge toward they don't have the sacrament at all is because each individual person there may be receiving the Lord's Supper in a different way. And some people may say, oh, I don't know what Baptists believe, so I just believe what Jesus says. Do they then receive the Lord's Supper? The tough answer here is no, they don't, because your faith doesn't make the supper. And they don't receive it because it's being the institution itself, the Christ institution is not being observed. May they think they're receiving the body and blood of Christ? Yes. Is it good that they believe that Christ's body is truly present in the Lord's Supper? Yes. But they're communing in the wrong place. They're communing someplace that is contrary to their sincere belief that Jesus is present there. They should go to a church, like a Lutheran church, where it's not only practiced according to his institution, but it's also taught. 
The institution is more than just the right and the words. The institution is also what is taught about that right and those words. Some people make it easy. We went to Joel Osteen's church in Houston, Texas. Was it his mom? Do you remember, Jeff? His mom came out and... Yeah, I think it was. I think Joel's mom came out for the Lord's Supper, and she's the one who walked this huge congregation through it. And she was very clear. She spoke Christ's words, and then she said, but this means that this bread only represents and this wine only represents. She was very clear. She denied Christ's words. There was no sacrament there. And I had a funny moment because they just brought out these enormous trays stacked high and everybody just sat in their so in their seats and they had a little... Reclining chair. Yeah, little reclining chairs. They had the little individual cups with the bread kind of plastic sealed on top. And you you get you got it and you opened it up. Jeff and I did not partake, of course. But the kid next to me looks at me and says, what's this? And I said, it's bread and grape juice. Because they just simply denied the institution. Therefore, they do not have the institution of the Lord's Supper. This is why the apostle, so he's like, don't mess with it. Don't tinker with the Lord's Supper. It is meant for your blessing and you're receiving it to your judgment. So back to the Baptist example. Are they sinning against Christ? Absolutely. Do they have the Lord's Supper? In my pastoral judgment, they do not because they deny the full institution. Do they still receive God's judgment in doing this? Yes, but not for sinning against the present body of Christ, but for sinning against Christ by denying his words. And I'm sure that there will be pastors out there. I almost got into a fist fight with a seminarian. Back in the day, we were playing pool at Concordia Seminary, and we were talking about this very issue, and it became such a heated conversation that we both had pool cues in our hand. It could have turned into a bar fight, but it didn't. Would you have been disciplined? at this? Was it on campus? It was right on campus, yes. Would you, you might have been disciplined. You might not even be Pastor Todd Wilkins. I don't know. Because Dave Smith was like dean of students. He told me he's old school. Oh, no. <laughs> he would put the fear of God into any student. He put the fear. I was, he was my pastor for nine years, and he put the fear of God into me. Seamail comes from Michael. How do Lutherans address stuff like Fatima, Lourdes, Padre Pio, having the stigmata? Eucharistic miracles claimed by the Roman Catholic Church, incorruptible saints, visions of St. Faustina of Jesus, etc. The list goes on and on. I often hear that, of course, God would not stop doing miracles after the time of the Bible, but he kept doing them ever since to let Roman Catholics know they are in the true church. Thanks for the email. Thanks for listening, Michael. Well, I think some of them can just be written off as legends. When someone says, Our Lady of, we have near here a shrine because the Virgin Mary is alleged to have appeared in a a grotto near a snowbank or something like that. So it's Our Lady of the Snows. It's It's a shrine there. And I think when someone claims that they've seen the Virgin Mary, you can say, no, there's no promise, example, or command regarding such a thing that we should ever look for them so that they may be hallucinations, they may be demonic powers, but when the people say the Virgin Mary appeared to them, we have to say that's that's not in God's playbook. Now, when someone says that they saw a vision of Jesus, I don't immediately dismiss it because there are examples in the New Testament of Christ appearing from time to time 
after his ascension, in particular to St. Paul. So we can't completely discount it, but we do have to always be skeptical. So if someone says, and this happens on the mission field, oddly enough, see, they say they saw a vision of Jesus, and what he said was completely in line with Scripture. I would say then, believe Scripture, take the vision with a grain of salt, never believe a Jesus that says something contrary to Scripture whatsoever. That is not the Jesus, but we can't completely discount it. Now, as to miracles, we often say, well, the miracles ceased with the end of the apostolic era, the last apostle, because that's the only place where Christ promised that he, people would do signs in his name. But again, coming back to the Lord's Supper, that does not mean that Christ is not doing miracles today. He does, he does two very particular miracles on a regular basis, and that is he creates children of God out of enemies of God through the simple application of water with the divine name. That's a miracle. It's no less a miracle than a healing or raising the dead. It's, it's, it is a raising of the dead. And the Lord's Supper. You tell me how, as Scripture clearly teaches and we can clearly maintain, how it is that having Christ's body and blood given to you to eat and drink for the forgiveness of your sins with bread and wine is not a miracle. It is a miracle. We just don't think of it that way, but it is a miracle. So we trust the miracles that Christ has promised to do, and we're skeptical of those miracles that we have no clear promise or example in Scripture. And some of them we need to discount entirely, like visions of the Virgin Mary or of other saints. The stigmata, I don't know how to explain that. I don't know that it's something that needs any explanation because, again, because we have no clear command, promise, or example in Scripture of such a thing happening I think we can just lay it off to the side and say, I don't know what it is, I don't know how it happened, or if it happened, but I don't need to pay attention to that. We certainly do not put our trust in them. When we come back, a little more listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. And close with love the way that you do gonna sit right down and write myself a letter and make believe it came from you you can support the worldwide outreach of issues etc by purchasing a cell phone case from crossway cross weh.com slash lpr You'll find cell phone cases for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and Luther's Seal with the Reformation Solas. Cross weh.com slash LPR. A percentage of your purchase will support Issues Etc. Cross weh.com slash LPR. This month marks the 50th anniversary of the walkout of faculty and staff from the Concordia Seminary St. Louis campus in 1974. If you've ever wondered about Seminex or the walkout and what they were all about, now's your chance to learn more. Pick up the February issue of The Lutheran Witness. You can purchase that at CPH. Visit cph.org witness or learn more at our website, witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther had Wartburg. We have Collinsville. You're listening to Issues Etc. Teaching your student to read should not be complicated. 
Memoria Press's Phonics uses common sense and the classical approach with their First Start Reading program for the most effective and efficient way to teach your child how to read. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. Back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are hearing from our listeners via email and the Issues Etc. comment line. In about 15 minutes, Pastor Tom Baker joins us to teach a Sunday school lesson on Jesus' birth and his presentation at the temple in Luke chapter 2. Up next, Nang writes, Is there anything in your podcast that I can listen to about Seminex? I just want to learn more about it. Thank you and God bless. What's Seminex, Todd? Seminex is the shorthand term for the Lutheran battle for the Bible that took place in the late sixties and early seventies of the 20th century. So it centered around the teachings. It was not limited to, but it was centered around mostly the teachings that were introduced in the fifties at uh, Concordia seminary in St. Louis. And those teachings, basically a very low view of the Bible and a what's called gospel reductionism, where in order to kind of justify their desire to not teach the teachings of the Bible anymore, they said, well, the only thing that really matters in the Bible is the gospel. And as long as it doesn't directly impact the gospel, you can believe and teach whatever you want to. So they, we had seminary professors there in those days, in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, who would deny the resurrection of Christ. They would deny pretty much every doctrine of the Bible as they saw fit. So they took, they would have called it a high view of the Bible, but it was a very low view of the Bible. So eventually this all kind of became known outside the circle of the seminary faculty, usually from students who are graduating, going out into congregations and teaching this nonsense. Because, you know, who can blame them? They were, that's what they were taught at the seminary. The seminary professors taught them that. So the congregations of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Center became aware of this, and so Seminex became shorthand for the fact that at, what was it, yesterday was the anniversary of the walkout? On February 19th, 1974, after much going back and forth through convention cycles and things like that, the faculty of Concordia Seminary, if if I'm not mistaken, in in protest of the firing of John Teachin, who was the president of Concordia Seminary, they walked out of classes. Really, they just took a kind of a stroll. It was a very orchestrated they called the media, they had the media waiting for them, and they just walked down the driveway at 801 DeMunn, out to DeMunn Avenue, and, and then held a press conference, and then they all went back in and had lunch. So there was really, it was, to call it a walkout is, and shortly after that, it was a responsibility of the president of Senate to take care of this business, and he did. Those who walked out 
were dismissed. They had a skeleton faculty left over, but they muscled on. And the faculty that walked out and were dismissed formed their own seminary that they called Seminary in Exile. So it was short to Seminex. And that's the name of the thing. And we have a lot of stuff on, on the battle for the Bible. We recently did an excellent series with the co-authors of a book. What was that book called, Jeff? I don't remember. It was called, uh, it's a long title. It's a Sherbian title. So we did a series of interviews with people who were there and people who have studied the subject extensively. And I think that's called the Lutheran Battle for the Bible series that we did. Yeah, go to issuesetc.org slash battle for the Bible, issuesetc.org battle for the Bible. And it was a series of interviews of the contributors to uh, the new book, Rediscovering the Issues, surrounding the 1974 Concordia Seminary walkout. That was produced by CPH. And also the February issue of the Lutheran Witness magazine deals with the walkout at Concordia Seminary 50 years ago yesterday. It's a great issue. You can uh, learn more at cph.org slash witness or call Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040. Request the books Rediscovering the Issues Surrounding 1974, Concordia Seminary Walkout, and the Lutheran Witness Magazine. And just to kind of tell the rest of the story, those teachings were not only being popularized at, at Concordia Seminary, in our university system they were being popularized, in our publishing house they were being popularized. And so there was kind of a house cleaning that took place after that. And many, many a resolution and documents produced to respond to those teachings. The former faculty of Concordia Seminary, eventually Seminex kind of shuttered itself. We lost some congregations over this too. They, they left the Missouri Synod and largely they went to other more liberal church bodies. And long story short, kind of the core, one of the cores of what is now the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America grew out of that about 10 years later. There was a great merger of the more liberal Lutheran church bodies into the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And that's where those low view of the Bible teachings still prevail to this day and went exactly the way everyone said it would go. They've compromised on every biblical teaching that you can possibly think of. We had in the one-year lectionary, the Old Testament was the uh, Garden of Eden. And it got me thinking, it kind of applies to Seminex, that did God really say is like his his trump card, Satan's trump card, right? Yep. The guy really says, Seminex says, we can't believe all those miracles. Jonah wasn't a belly of a yep. whale. Come on. Did God really say? Yeah, there was two claims always made. You know, these miracles didn't happen. They were just made up and they're there to, but well, they're good because they're there to teach us something, but they didn't actually happen up to and including the resurrection of Jesus. And then they would say, but it doesn't matter if they happened or not because it doesn't directly impact the gospel. And they thought they could keep the gospel while dispensing with scripture, and they didn't. They lost the gospel. After all, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, there is no gospel. His death is just bad news for him and for us. Here's a email the listener would like to remain anonymous. He gave us his first and last name, but we'll not mention his, his name to the listeners. The pastor of my church gets very distracted during sermons and teaching. I can't follow what he's saying because the sidetracks take up most of the time. How can I respectfully encourage him to stick to the point? Thank you for all you guys do. I'm an avid listener and I learn a lot from every program. That's a tough one. First of all, you need to speak with him privately. I mean, very privately about this because it may come as a blow to his ego. And as Jeff has often said, never underestimate the ego of a Lutheran pastor. 
he speaks from vast experience dealing with Lutheran pastors every day. If he works with one. So speak with him privately and just say, I've got a concern. I feel like maybe you say, my sense is that the teaching meanders a little bit. I'd really like to kind of have it a little more to the point. The sidetracks, while sometimes enlightening and interesting, we stray from the subject. And just said, I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to in any way degrade your abilities as a teacher. But I think we could stick to the point. Expect a bruised ego, but you may well, if you do this gently and carefully, especially if he's a younger pastor, you may well set him on the right track. Sometimes that one little bit of correction early on keeps this from becoming a, a habit that follows him throughout the rest of his ministry. So a loving correction and admonition. I would also recommend to Pastor, if you ever listened to Looking Forward to Sunday Morning with Pastor Will Whedon or Pastor Sean Denzer, it's great sermon prep. I would also like to know, if you write something out, it's a lot harder to get off track. Were you taught to write your sermons yes. in Homilex 101? Yeah, I don't anymore because radio has ruined me for a text. Everything I do, with the exception of this, I've got my eye on a screen or I've got my eye on a piece of paper or I'm reading or something like that. And it ruined me as, as a preacher because I could not, I'm either looking at the thing or I'm not. I'm even looking at the piece of paper or I'm not. So I do not write them out. I thoroughly work them out, but I don't write them out. I was taught to write them out. And that was precisely so that you don't meander as a preacher. And sometimes I don't sing the uh, hymn of the day when I'm preaching, or I don't sing most of it, or I'll step out into the sacristy area or the vestry area and during the hymn of the day, just to go through my points. And to me, it's, I usually say, this is where I want to start. This is what I need to say. And this is where I need to end. I've been doing this now for 35 years and have learned not to meander. I really am not that kind of a preacher. I don't tell, I no longer tell stories. I no longer use illustrations. I just say what the text has to say. But I think for most pastors, my associate writes out everything. It's a guide for him. He doesn't read his sermon so much as it guides him. And that works out well for him. When a preacher has a tendency to get off track in the pulpit, it's one thing in the classroom to get off track, but when a preacher gets off track in the pulpit, to me, that's more serious of a problem because it may be a lack of preparation, but it might also just be a, just because an idea pops into your head during the sermon doesn't mean you need to say it. Stick to your plan. Whether your plan's on paper or it isn't, stick to your plan. Just because an idea pops into your head and you think, oh, that's a, that would be a tangent I might pursue. Don't pursue the tangent. I've if listened you, to a lot of preaching. Nine times out of ten, I can tell you if a guy's winging it or has written it out. I'm a big believer. I think it should be written out. First of all, we can say things off the cuff that are false more likely than oh, if, sure. you've, if you've read sure. it and reread it. Yeah. It's like a research paper. Mm -hmm. You, know, you got to keep reading it, got to keep editing it, that kind of thing. I think it's, and secondly, I've seen too many guys who wing it repeating the same thing over oh, yeah. and over and over again. And it's like I got it the second time. Yeah. Oh. And I think that it is, it is individual to the preacher, but you should, no one should be winging it. No one should be winging it. There has to be preparation. And I benefit from the fact that I sit through two interviews a week, sometimes they overlap, that walk me through these texts 
I only preach about once every six weeks. I could walk into the pulpit any Sunday because I've heard from Sean Denzer and Will Whedon and Peter Bender, and Peter and Bender, Bender Kinsher, and David like, Peterson. What kind of sermon preparation I'm getting on this? I know all the whole big picture is laid out for me. So, but most guys don't have that luxury. No, no they could. They, they could listen. They to could, them, but yeah. but they don't have that luxury, and then they have to. They have a lot of other things to do. I got a lot of other things to do, but it's not all that kind of funnels into Sunday morning. One final email, Debbie, Las Vegas. Hello, today I celebrate one year as an official Lutheran. I spent my first 69 years in Pentecostal churches. Now at 71, I am home and at peace. I love the Lutheran liturgy and respect how the divine service points us to Christ. I found my church, Grace Lutheran Church in Henderson, Nevada, through your website. So I really feel you folks helped me on my journey, as well as learning about Lutherans from your shows and Pastor Whedon's Bible study. Thank you for all you do. You made a difference in my life, and thank you for listening. Debbie in Las Vegas. Well, we are very happy that you have finally come home. I, I've, I've often said that that's the, the Roman Catholics got to it before we did. Lutherans should be have a national advertising program just like the Roman Catholics. Remember, they had that one for about a decade. You know, come, come home. Come home. The church is your home. And it was aimed at former Catholics, also named non-Catholics, so to say, hey, come home, because that's what the church is. That's what the true church is. It's the natural place for all Christians to be. So glad you're home and glad you're here to stay. And that experience among the Pentecostals may well hold you in good stead among your fellow Lutherans, who some of them, well, while they call themselves Lutherans, are practically Pentecostal themselves. When we come back, Pastor Tom Baker joins us, host of the radio show called Law and Gospel. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson on Jesus' birth. You listen to it twice, cause the DJ is asleep. What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. 
St. Jacoby Lutheran Church in the North Woods of Wisconsin, located in Shano, has a special guest each and every week. It isn't you, but it is Jesus Christ. He is guest, and yet he is also the one who comes to serve you with his preached word and broken body and shed blood. You are invited to be served by Jesus with us at St. Jacoby on Saturday evenings at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Visit www.stjakobi.org for more information. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through His Word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the Word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155.